occasionally in the middle of the night, I'll hear one of my kids cry out, come running down the hallway toward our room. When they're frustrated or irritated or annoyed, they just scream. When they're scared, they get really specific and they cry out for, they run to mommy or daddy. So we'll either scoop them up in our arms, we'll hold them or climb out of our bed and go stumbling into their bedrooms. Sometimes when they hear us coming into the room, they get a little bit startled, but what they're really afraid of is the dark. It's that scared feeling in the darkness of being helpless. Darkness. I think the best definition is pretty simple, the absence of light. It's not so much something you see as much as it is something you can't see. When there is no light, you have darkness. And when it's really dark, so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face, the darkness becomes something you feel. Have you ever felt the darkness? Darkness is mentioned around 200 times in the Bible. The Bible uses darkness as a metaphor to describe what life is like without God. It's a metaphor for loneliness. When you live without his love, when you refuse to follow his direction, when you choose your foolishness over his wisdom, you find yourself in a very dark and lonely place. Here's what I want you to grasp this morning. Until you truly understand the darkness of this world that we live in, you'll never truly be able to celebrate or appreciate the beauty of the light. And so today we're going to talk about darkness. And I recognize this may not be the most popular topic to discuss on a joy-filled day of Christmas, but many of you are experiencing darkness in your life, and even though it's that Christmas season with lots of joy, you feel a lack of hope, a lack of joy. Honestly, I don't really want to be the guy who kills all the joy in the room that we've experienced today, but in order for us to experience what the Bible calls joy, real joy, we must understand the darkness that that joy invaded. Now, to an extent, our eyes have adjusted to the darkness. In a year like 2020, we've grown used to hearing about how dark the world is. We've become somewhat numb to it. A coworker commits adultery, a teen commits suicide, a fatal car accident blocks up the freeway, but we're just frustrated because we're going to be late for dinner. It wasn't supposed to be this way, though. In a world so wonderfully connected by our technology, We've also opened ourselves up to carrying not only the bad news, the pain, the darkness of our immediate family or small community, but of the entire world. We, more than any other time in history, can access the darkness from around the globe instantaneously. And we weren't made to carry that kind of burden. The world is a very dark place. And I think one of the reasons it's hard for us to recognize the darkness, and this is actually hard to admit, It's because we're a part of the darkness. In fact, here in the dark right now, I feel a little bit more comfortable telling you that what often scares me the most is my own darkness. Did I really just say that or did I really just think that about that person? Am I seriously making church about what I want and my own preferences? Am I really that numb to that person's pain? I mean, have you ever been caught off, caught off guard by your own darkness? There's a selfish darkness in each of us that pulls us away from authentic community. Can I tell you something? I may not be a child, but I'm still afraid of the dark, the darkness that's in me. And consider how the Bible talks about darkness. In John's gospel that we're studying this morning, in chapter 3, 
He describes it this way. He says, God's light came into the world, but people loved the darkness more than the light because their actions were evil. All who do evil hate the light and they refuse to go near it because they're scared their sin will be exposed. Back in Proverbs chapter four, the writer says this, but the way of the wicked is like a total darkness. They have no idea what they are stumbling over. And then back to John's gospel in chapter 11, he says this, but at night there is a danger of stumbling because they have no light around them. Have you ever been tripped up by the darkness inside of you? Have you ever felt like you were trapped and there was no way out? There was no hope for better days? The darkness can feel like that, like it's constantly closing in around us. Now, there's a few things I want you to remember about darkness from a biblical perspective. The first is this, that the darkness has been there for a really long time. You felt it inside of you when you lied to your parents as a kid or when you took more than just a glance at a classmate's test when you didn't prepare. Now, that seems trivial or innocent, but the darkness starts somewhere, and it only grows and surrounds you from that place. The darkness wants to rob you of your hope in life. It wants you to believe that Christmas is about a lot of things, but it's not about a light that can overcome the darkness around us. The second thing is this. The darkness is naturally progressive. The longer you spend in the darkness, the harder it is to recognize the light. And in a year like this, it's really easy to feel the darkness around you. It's easy to get so wrapped up in our fear and our anxiety over the, a vaccine or politics or our financial future. We don't know how we're going to make it, and so we go into survival mode. And before we know it, the darkness is closing in all around us. The longer you spend trying to fix this darkness inside of you with an immediate satisfaction or a quick fix or surface-level relationships harder it is to let go and experience the light, the real purpose and connection that God offers us. If there's a metaphor in the New Testament that speaks of life and purpose, it's the metaphor of light. And if there's a metaphor for the lack of life and purpose and meaning, it's darkness. In the Bible, the word darkness refers to both evil and ignorance. It means first that the world is filled with an evil and, un and untold suffering. I mean, look at what happened in the beginning uh, of Jesus' time on earth. We're told of violence, injustice, abuse of power, homelessness, refugees fleeing oppression, families ripped apart, and bottomless grief. It sounds a lot like the world today. The other way, though, that we are in the dark is that no one really knows how to cure this evil or this suffering that's around us. So from the very beginning of his gospel, John uses this metaphor to contrast what life is like in the light and what it's like in the darkness. He describes the world prior to the coming of Jesus as a really dark place, a place of loneliness and hurting and confusion, no hope. Can you imagine a world like that? For many of you, that's not very hard to do. You've experienced some of the darkest places. You've seen some of the darkest things that this world has to offer. And for some of you, you're in desperate need of light. For some of us, 2020 has been a place of hopelessness and pain. It's a place with very little light, loneliness, confusion, pain. These are all symptoms of people who are in desperate need of an authentic connection to a heavenly father and a connection to other people in the light. And it was this lonely, hurting, confusion that John described. And it was into this dark, 
scary, confusing world, that John described the coming of a Messiah. He said, into that dark world, a light burst forth. That light could not be overcome by the darkness. That light was a way out of the darkness. That light was a hope in the middle of the darkness. See, this is what Christmas is about, a light in the midst of a darkness. And in a year like 2020, we need that reminder. Turn the lights. Welcome back. Good morning. Those of you who are drifting off, <laughs> let me remind you that you are in church this morning and we're glad that you're here. We started this sermon series uh, a few weeks back in John chapter 1, and we're walking through these uh, verses describing John's uh, birth story of Jesus. And we started out by describing Jesus as the Word, the one in whom all of life finds its genesis, its origin. From there, we discussed the witness to the Word and the witness that he made in John the Baptist and how he testified to the Word being the source of life. And today, John uses this interesting little word, this interesting metaphor to describe the birth of Jesus. He calls him the light, and he contrasts it with darkness. And we're going to talk about that here in just a moment. But the reason we decided to preach through John chapter 1 as a part of our Christmas series this year is because we need the reminder of the light in a world that is so dark and the darkness that feels like it can just creep up all around us. We need this time of year every year to remind us that the light burst forth into the darkness. Otherwise, Christmas can, and I'm sure you've experienced this like I have, it can become routine. It can be about buying the right gifts and wrapping them the right way and having the right traditions and experiencing the right things so that you can make the right memories so they can get you through the darkness. David Crabtree described Christmas and the fear of losing sight of the real meaning of Christmas this way. He says, Christmas will find us lifting up our weary voices to sing joy to the world, the Lord has come. Then we rush from our Christmas services to get those last gifts and to visit one more Christmas party, and so soon it's all over. We save the bows, we burn the wrappings, we strip the tree, and we labor over our New Year's resolutions. Too often we miss the point completely. We're like the man who goes to the coast but never sees the ocean. The threat of a holiday hijacking is all too real. Unless we engage our hearts, our hearts, in a true celebration of Christmas joy, we are easily caught up in a pointless and mindless holiday. But Christmas is about more than that. It has to be. It has to be about more than a fading light that might get us through a really tough year. And this is what John describes. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to John chapter 1. We're also going to jump over to Isaiah chapter 9 and then back to John chapter 1. So John 1, Isaiah 9, John 1, if you have a Bible. If you don't have one, there should be one in the seat back in front of you, and that's our gift to you. I encourage you to open up the scriptures each week as we gather together. In John chapter 1, John begins to describe the birth of Jesus this way in verse 4. He says, in him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Early on in this series, we explained how in John's gospel, he does some really fascinating things with the original language that the text would have been written in. And it's really hard for the English language to capture some of that. And he does this in the form of sentence structures and particular words that he uses, and then the words that he'll repeat quite often. 
So in a passage like this, if you place it within the context of verses 1 through 5 instead of just 4 and 5, you come to realize when he says, in him was life, what he's saying is it was all of life because everything has its origin through him. Everything was created through Jesus and everything was created for Jesus. So everything finds its life in him. So what he's saying is that life has become a light in the middle of the darkness of everyone's life. So you could say it this way. What he's saying is you have your origin. You, have, you were created by him and for him, but you drifted away from him, so come back to him. And say that again. This is what John is saying here. He said, you were created by him and for him, but you drifted from him into the darkness. Now his light has come into the world, so come back to him. And he says, that light that Jesus is, as he comes into the world, is the source of life for all mankind. And it's fascinating because now you get to the word use. He uses this interesting word to describe life. He says the word, it's the word zoe in Greek. Everybody say zoe. There you go. Good. Just making sure you're with me. So he uses this fascinating word. Now, when you begin to study that word in John's gospel, you realize it is on every page. I mean, he uses this word throughout his entire gospel. And you realize this word is really hard to capture in the English language because it has so much depth to it. Here's what I mean. Three things for you to remember about this word. The first thing is this. It means physical life. Your breath, you are living, your body is moving. It means that. But it also means that while you're living, you have deep personal purpose. You have a deep personal purpose in your life. So your life began because of him. You have purpose every day that you wake up because of him. And it also encompasses the promise of a life that will never end, eternal life. So it's the beginning of your physical life. It's the meaning and purpose in your life. And it is the promise of eternal life all wrapped up into this concept. So now you read that back into the text. And it was in him was life, all of life, the beginning of your life, the purpose. Every day you wake up, you know you have something to do, somewhere to go, somebody to serve because he's given you that purpose. And now, no matter how dark the world gets, you know you have a promise of eternal life. All of that in him was that life. And that kind of a promise of life was the light in the middle of a dark world that could find its source in nothing other than the life of Jesus. You apply this word now to the way it's used throughout John's gospel, and you see it's fascinating. Jesus says of himself in John chapter 10, verse 10, he says this, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. So he says the thief comes, and the thief usually comes at night, unexpected. They're going to come at night, darkness. And in that darkness, it comes to steal, kill, and destroy everything good in your life. He says, but I've come that they may have zoe, they may have life. And they may have that life abundantly. So what he's saying is, I've come in the middle of the darkness that you might have life. Yes, that is absolutely a promise of eternal life. But Christianity, Christmas, is not an afterlife insurance policy. We know that because of the word that John uses. The word that Jesus uses to describe himself is, this life is about you understanding where you come from. This life is when you walk into the light that Jesus provides, you have an understanding of where your life started, why you were born, why you were created. You have an understanding of what you're supposed to do with your life because it's a deep, meaningful purpose in life. And you know that no matter how bad this life gets, it is but a blip. And that coming is an eternal life that will last forever. This is how he describes this coming of life. 
And when you understand that, hey, he's saying Christmas is about so much more than just traditions. And look, I'm not trying to kill it. When Ben did that whole wear your Christmas sweater thing, I'm so glad so many of you did it. I'm glad you're having fun. No, I never did plan to be a part of it. I'm sorry. I'm the Grinch, okay? But, but here, here's what, you, you realize this, when you understand what the light that came into the world and that the darkness couldn't overcome that light, when you understand what that really means, you realize that Christmas Christianity is the least sentimental and the most realistic way of looking at life. Now, I don't mean to kill all of your Christmas traditions and memories. That's not the goal here. But really, when you dig deep, it is not a very sentimental stance because you realize Christianity doesn't agree with the optimistic people in the world. It disagrees with their approach. An optimist says, well, if you just wake up every day and you have the right attitude and you look at the problems of the world in the right perspective, you can overcome anything. Christianity says, no, you can't. Can't do it. But it also disagrees with the pessimist because the pessimist wakes up like Eeyore. Oh, man, everything's horrible. Everything's bad. Woe is me. And Christianity says, no, you can't have that view either. Christianity is this balanced approach, this understanding of this. It's very realistic. It just says this. Yeah, it really is that bad. It really does hurt that much. The world really is that dark. The world really will strip you of all hope. It absolutely will. That's the world you live in. And in the middle of all of it, there's a hope. There's this hope in the middle of all of the darkness that is real around us, that a light burst forth into it, and that the darkness, no matter how hard it tried, no matter how bad the enemy worked overtime, was not going to overcome that kind of darkness. No matter how hard the enemy works, he could not overcome the light. That darkness is powerless, powerless compared to the light. Then you begin to study scripture and you realize this was always God's plan A. The light shining in the darkness was always his plan A. Thousands of years ago, the prophet Isaiah, he described the coming of Jesus, the birth of Jesus, using very similar language. Look at what he says in Isaiah chapter 9. The people walking in darkness, the people whose lives were surrounded by this darkness, they've seen a great light shining into that darkness. On those living in the land of a deep darkness, he describes the darkness as very deep, very real. It's surrounding you. A light has dawned. And then he describes where this light comes from. He says in verse 6, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. We'll look at these on Christmas Eve. He says, Of, of the greatness of the, his government and peace... There will be no end. Let, let's break this down. We'll leave, it, we'll leave it up on the screen for a second. Uh, the first verses, not verse 6. Thank you. All right. Break it down here. He says, the people walking in the darkness have seen a great light. That's the first part. Well, what, what's Isaiah talking about? If you go back to Isaiah chapter 8, you get a little bit of the context toward the end of Isaiah 8. And he describes it from verses 19 to 22. And you can look this up later on. He describes it as a, a people that were in such a darkness and they started going to mediums and they started going to magicians to try to find a solution to the world that was around them. Here's what he's describing. A group of people who are living in such a dark and desolate world that they're trying anything they can to find some sort of light. Does it remind you of anything? See, we may not go to magicians and we may not go to mediums, but some people do. But for the most part, we would rather medicate the darkness with materialism. We'd rather medicate the darkness with an idea of a perfect life. 
Some of us, we just go to work and we push through and we work harder and we think if I just get to this certain point, if I can accomplish this, if I can have that title, if I can have that job, if I can make that much money, if we can live in that one house, then we'll overcome the darkness. We go to everything. We can, just like at the end of Isaiah 8. But Isaiah goes on to describe it in verses 21 and 22, and he says this, these people distressed and hungry, they're going to roam around on the land. They're going to look toward the earth and see as they look only around them to try to find a solution to the dark world they live in. They're only going to see distress and darkness and fearful gloom. But then there's chapter 9. And to the people walking in that kind of darkness, they've seen a great light burst into that darkness. On those living in the land of deep darkness, it says, a light has dawned. I want you to notice how he writes this because he doesn't say on the people living from the people living in great darkness comes a great light. It doesn't say from among them because they worked hard, because they achieved some goal. It says upon them, on them, meaning it was outside of them that this light was shown on top of them. It was not something that they achieved on their own through some sort of a, a, an understanding or some sort of enlightenment. See, the, lightness, the, the, the light that shone into the dark was something that came from outside of them, which means that the source of light, therefore the source of life, it's something that's received, not achieved. Can't earn it. You can't live a good enough life. Something that stands out to me both in John chapter 1 and Isaiah chapter 9 is this. That neither one of these passages, they, ever, they never ask us to do anything. They never command us to have some sort of obedience or to go. They're just a birth announcement. Into the darkness came a light. You didn't earn it. You don't deserve it. But the light has shone into the darkness. But it's an invitation it's a birth announcement and an invitation. Do you want to step into the light or stay in the darkness? Look at how John describes this invitation back in chapter 1, verse 9. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. This was Jesus. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world didn't recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So the light shines into this dark world. It gives them a way out. It says, hey, there is no other way out. Everything else you're looking at is dark, but here's the light. All you have to do is receive what's been offered to you. All you have to do is freely accept a gift that you didn't earn and you don't deserve. Then it will get you out of the darkness. You'll be connected to the way you were created, the purpose you have in life, and the promise that the darkness can't win. But all you have to do is accept it. And it says the world didn't recognize him. The world didn't want him. Later on, he would describe it as the world didn't want to be in the light because they were fearful that their sins would be exposed. They didn't want to be in the light. And I think it's because the longer we're in the darkness, the more our eyes adjust to it, the more comfort we see. People that live far from the Lord and they make decisions that rely on their own strength and understanding really two groups of people, some that live in this world and their eyes adjust to the reality that there just is no hope. It's just a dark world and that's all there is. And so they grow bitter. And maybe you've been around people like this or maybe you've had a season in your life where you just lose sight of hope and you're like, look, I had to walk through this, this bad breakup, this divorce, or we made these bad financial decisions or we've had to lay people off or I've been laid off and I don't know what to do with this situation and there's not a lot of hope here. I just think the world is just this horrible, desolate place with no hope. Because our eyes have grown so adjusted to it, we've lost sight of the fact that a light, a great light came and has given us purpose to live in the middle of the darkness as sources of light. 
but we lose sight of that. The other group of people have grown so accustomed to being in the dark that they just think that they're so, I can see my way around this well enough. I can adjust. I can, and they become so accustomed to living among the darkness, but they've lost sight of the light. And so they can negotiate their way out of different things. They're so used to operating different ways and until they come up against the part of the darkness that they weren't ready for and that they can't handle. And it's completely crushing to them. It crushes everything because there's just nothing they can do to get around it. See, two things that we get from John's Christmas story. The first is this. There is no substitute for the light. Nothing else will satisfy in you what the light came to satisfy. Nothing. And man, do we not look for every other avenue that we can for satisfaction? Let me give you a couple examples. Some of you, you're done with Christmas shopping. You've wrapped everything up. You're ready to go, and it feels good. It feels really good. Right? Others hate those people, right? <laughs> because you're not there yet, and so you just don't feel that satisfaction. For some of you, it comes, man, that Christmas morning, you have all these traditions. In our home, we make uh, a big breakfast, and then we open presents. We read the Christmas story together. We head on over to my in-laws. We have all these fun things, and if we're not careful with it, what happens is December 26th. Ah, oh, 364 more days till we get to do it again. Let's get back to work. You see, we, we try. We try to put all these pieces in place to create this life that can be satisfying only to realize the world is dark and will not satisfy. St. Augustine said it best. He said, our hearts are restless, meaning we search for everything we can to find rest. And they're restless because we're doing all these different things. He says, God, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Until I can just let go of all of that and say, no matter what happens in the darkness, I have a promise. The light has shone into the darkness. I know why I was created and who created me. I know what my purpose is in life. And I know that no matter how dark it gets, this darkness will not win. Let me close out this way. I, I read, uh, I like to read a lot of different things, and I, I was uh, reading through some articles uh, written uh, about a certain preacher um, and his preaching and the way that he writes and the depth, just really good stuff. Okay, nerd out on that stuff. One of the articles I was reading uh, included a letter that was written uh, about this preacher, to this preacher, by a woman who had never met him. And this woman had walked through a really difficult tragedy. Uh, she had three young children and her husband. They were both young parents. Her husband was participating in a 5K race. And toward the end of the race, lightning struck and hit him. And, and he died, leaving her a single mom. And uh, she was just, the darkness was just creeping in. And it was the sermons, the, the, the content of this particular preacher, who's one of my favorites, who, that got her reconnected to the light. And I'm going to read you a portion of one of the letters that she wrote to him. She's referencing a specific sermon, and we're about three-quarters of the way through this article. She says this, in that sermon, you talked about a quote from D.L. Moody where he tells people that when they one day in the future read about his death in the paper, they should not believe it. Instead, he says, at that time, he will be more alive than he has ever been. She said, that is such a beautiful truth. As I saw my husband at the funeral home, I was overcome with grief. Darkness creeping in. Some of you have been there. But a beautiful thing happened. As I looked at him, it was as if a switch flipped, and I knew for the very first time in such a profound way that we are eternal beings. Our bodies are not, but our souls are. 
just as we hope that when we ourselves die, we will indeed have eternal life, zoe, life. And we count on that. I was able to look on my husband and truly know that what I saw was just his body, that he indeed was alive at that very moment. Hearing your sermon further explained and put words to what I'd been feeling. And when grief, when the darkness creeps in and tries to take a hold of me now, I just have to slip or turn my eyes toward eternity. I have to look for the light. And when I do that, I know so deeply that he is more alive than I am and that this life is just a breath. But even in the darkness, it can be good. Friends, the darkness, it's limited. The darkness has an expiration date. There is coming a day when there will only be light. There will be no darkness. One of the fascinating things that I love about this whole passage in John 1 and Isaiah 9 is this, that God didn't give us a night light. He didn't give us a temporary light. He didn't give us a light that requires batteries to be changed out every so often. He gave us a source of light that will never end. And all we have to do is step into it. All we have to do is accept it. Remember when Jesus died on the cross, the enemy thought that the light of the world had come to an end only three days later to burst forth. See, the light of the world went into the darkness to provide an eternal light for us. And when he resurrected, that light was made available to every single person who would accept it. I will tell you this, the promises of Christmas cannot be understood or experienced until you first acknowledge the darkness and the darkness in you that you cannot overcome on your own. So my question for you as we head into Christmas week, and as you begin to answer this, would be glad to walk with you through it, but the question is this, do you want that kind of life? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for being the source of life and light in such a dark and painful world. Many of us in this room have walked through tragedy and difficulty where the enemy comes and seems to just take our breath away. God, I've heard it described as being in grief, being in the middle of deep water as you can barely feel your toes touch the ground knowing that before long it's going to overtake you. And that darkness can just feel so real to so many of us. But God, I thank you that in the middle of that darkness when the enemy thought he won, you reminded him he didn't. You burst forth. So God, my prayer this morning as we prepare to enter into this very important week where we need this reminder echoes from the words of the song that we just recently sang, Come, Lord Jesus. Come, thou long-expected Jesus. That's our prayer this morning, God. Come, Lord Jesus. We pray for this in his name. And all God's people said,